Our sermon passage this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. Well, we're here at the start of a new year, which means that we have just observed one of the blessed traditions that we participate in each year. It's not Christmas. It's not uh, staying up till midnight necessarily and watching the ball drop and, and ringing in the new year. And it's not even, it's not even coming up with resolutions for the new year. No. This blessed tradition that I'm speaking of is the payment of personal property taxes. It's that time of the year when we get to pay the government for the stuff we have that we already paid taxes on when we bought it. Now, we could easily digress here on this topic, but the fact is that because we live in the great state of Missouri and we drive on their roads, we are considered beneficiaries of our government and the various services that they make available. And so we owe them our taxes. They have said everyone who lives in the state of Missouri, whether you're a landowner or not, you may have already paid real estate taxes, but to be able to provide for public education and, and libraries and fire departments, etc., we're going to distribute the burden among all the residents of Missouri by taxing your personal property. And this is your duty as a citizen of the great state of Missouri to pay taxes on your personal property. Now, similar to the way we have a legal obligation or duty to pay taxes to the government, we also have an obligation or responsibility to our creator. We have a duty to God. And that's what the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon the Wise, focuses on as he brings this book to its conclusion. Solomon begins the book by telling us what his goal or his mission is. He's trying to figure out life. He's trying to make sense of everything that happens under the sun. And so, because of his great wealth and power, he has access to every pursuit before him as he tries to figure all of this out. And Solomon tells us early on that he did not restrain himself, he did not keep himself from anything that his heart desired as he tried to make sense of the world. And so it talks about Solomon's pursuit of work and Solomon's pursuit of wealth and Solomon's pursuit of women and Solomon's pursuit of wine or pleasure. And his conclusion wasn't that any of these things in and of themselves are bad. And we know that. We know that he doesn't condemn these things in and of themselves, 
because he actually commands them to us at various points throughout the book. So we'll just take wine and work, or work and pleasure, we could say. Uh, two examples, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 18. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink, so wine, pleasure, and find enjoyment in all the toil, work, with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. Then in 8.15 he says, And I commend joy, so pleasure, for man is nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink, so wine, pleasure, and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil, work, through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So that saying, all, all work and no play makes Jack a dull, a dull boy. Solomon says, work, yes, and play, find pleasure. I commend both of these things to you. Uh, women, or we could say relationships and, and intimacy and romance. In Ecclesiastes 9.9, he says, enjoy life with the wife or spouse whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life, in your toil, at which you toil under the sun. So if God has given you a romantic relationship, if God has given you a spouse, then that is a gift, a gift to be enjoyed. He commends, Solomon commends that here. And then money. In Ecclesiastes 7.12, he says, for the protection of wisdom, so he's commending wisdom by comparing it to something else. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So he doesn't condemn money. He's saying, hey, money is a security net. Money is a shield. Money can be a safety, a safety net for you. It can be helpful. And then in Ecclesiastes 10.19, this is an odd verse, uh, but he says, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens the heart and money answers everything. There's a lot of problems that, that money can address. So he commends these things. He doesn't flat out condemn them. But his conclusion is that none of them is an end in itself. When he pursues them full bore, he says, oh, it's vanity. It's meaningless. But when he, pers when he places them in their proper place, he says, hey, they, they can be enjoyed. But they're not ultimate because wine wears off, work wears you down, and everything eventually rusts and decays. And all the money that we could possibly amass will eventually be left to someone else. So none of these things even have the ability to be lasting to be ultimate. So after 12 chapters of his experiences and observation, the wisest, wealthiest, most powerful man on the planet at the time, Solomon, says it all comes down to this. This is man's duty. These are the main things you need to have on your radar in this life. Fear God and keep his commandments. And Solomon reminds us why it matters that we know what our duty to God is and why we should perform it. Because in verse 14, he says that God 
is going to judge us. Each of us will give an account to God for everything we've done in our lives, whether good or bad. So it matters. What we do matters. How we live matters. Fulfilling the whole duty of man to God matters. And as we kick off a new year today, it would be good for us to consider what, would it, what it would look like for us to commit ourselves to fulfilling the whole duty of man to God in 2023? What would it look like for us to fear God and keep his commandments in this new year? What would it look like for us to fear God this year? Let's start with that. Now, we've touched, we've touched on fearing God already in the book of Ecclesiastes, and admittedly, it can be difficult to think rightly about this, this word and about this concept of fearing God because of the association in our minds between the word fear and, and the experience of actually being scared, being afraid. We, we put those two together. Fear, generally speaking, is something we look at negatively. But in the Bible, fear, as in the fear of the Lord, is almost always spoken of positively. So while it's difficult to define this word fear in a way that does justice to all of its usage in the Bible, at the base level, we could say it's a serious reverence and respect for God corresponding to, related to, or resulting in holiness. A serious reverence or respect for God corresponding to or relating to resulting in holiness. A couple of examples came to mind when I thought about uh, the fear of the Lord being fleshed out in the lives of individuals. I thought about the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. You, you may be familiar with the story of Joseph. He was one of 12 sons and his brothers envied him. His father favored him. And so they threw him in a pit. They thought about killing him. They thought about leaving him for dead. They decided to sell him into slavery. And uh, he wound up in um, the house of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was a very wealthy, powerful Egyptian. And so Joseph winds up as a slave in this man's house. And this man, Potiphar, basically entrust everything that belongs to him to Joseph to manage and to uh, take care of. And Potiphar's wife set her eyes on Joseph and tried to engage him romantically. And, and you know, we have no description of Potiphar's wife. Uh, she, you know, she... she she could have been a real piece of work, or she could have been a 10. We, ha we have no idea what she looked like. But we know that the wife of a very powerful man is, is making overtures to uh, engage young Joseph romantically. And he says, there is nothing in this house that my master has kept back from me. There is nothing that he has not entrusted to me except you. How could I do such a wicked thing? And you'd think he'd say, and sin against 
my master, right? But he says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And so he, he doesn't engage. He, he resists temptation. He, he flees. He turns away from this opportunity that is presented before him. And the main reason he gives is that to do so would be a sin against God. Joseph feared God. And so he resisted the temptation Another example I think of is the man Nehemiah after the Israelites had come back from exile in Babylon where they've been sent because of, of their disobedience to God. Uh, there's, a, there's this long drawn out period of them coming back to the promised land, coming back to Judea, coming back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the temple, and, and they're not completely faithful along the way. And so eventually, Nehemiah shows up on the scene, and he, he basically is authorized by the, the uh, conquering country, the ruling country. He's authorized to be the acting governor to see that the work is finished. And Nehemiah said, all the previous governors, when I showed up, all the previous governors had put, uh, they had a food allowance that was like part of their, their uh, compensation, and they had, they had levied heavy taxes on the people, heavy demands. This is my food allowance. You all have to provide for it because I'm your ruler, your acting governor, and uh, so you all have to provide me with all of this. And he said it was, it was very, very taxing, very demanding, very hard on the people. And then in Nehemiah chapter 5, he says, but, but I did not do that. I did not take any food allowance for fear of the Lord is the reason he gives. He didn't take something that would have been pleasing or pleasurable to him because he feared the Lord. He sensed that would not be right. Because of what I think about God, I'm not going to, to do this thing over here, which others before me have done, which I could, based on precedent, do and get away with. But I know there's one that I'm going to answer to. And so I will not do what others have done just because I can. The third example that came to mind is Jesus. And Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's out in the desert. He's being tempted by the devil for a period of days. And Satan takes him to uh, the uh, tall mountain, up to a very high place, and says, look out and see all the kingdoms of the earth. I will give them to you. You will, you will be king over all of them, if you would just bow down to me and worship me. And Jesus says, is it not written that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve? He's, in this section, he repeatedly quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. If you go back to the Deut book of Deuteronomy to find the place where it says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, it actually uses the word fear. You shall fear the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So because 
fear means a serious respect and reverence. That, that's an aspect of worship. Worship of God should involve serious reverence and respect. And so Jesus sees those two as somewhat interchangeable. And he says, no, I will not bow down to you and worship you even if it grants, gives me all of the kingdoms of the world because I fear God. Because only God is worthy of serious respect and reference. And so in all three of these examples, what we see is fearing God kept people from doing what would have been immediately gratifying, but unholy. So fearing God means resisting temptation and killing our flesh. Now, what would it look like for us to fear God in 2023? Well, fearing God will keep us from watching sexualized and coarse reels or shorts on platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Fearing God will mean saying no to pornography. Fearing God will mean not playing with movies and shows that glorify sexual immorality. Fearing God will mean not clicking on social media posts that cause us to envy others and covet their lives, their experiences, and their possessions, what they have. And possibly fearing God could mean changing the way that we relate to social media all together. Fearing God will mean excusing ourselves from conversations where gossip is happening, as well as staying silent instead of sharing negative things that we know about others. Fearing God will mean not flirting with sin, not pushing the envelope, not getting as close to the fire as we can without actually getting in it. Fearing God will mean that when the Lord says, be holy as I am holy, that becomes our desire. And the thoughts, words, and actions that would offend God's holiness will be unsettling and disturbing to us. That's what it might look like for us to fear God this year. And that is our duty to Him. But it's also our duty to keep God's commandments. So what would it look like for us to keep God's commandments in 2023? Well, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word commandments, I, I almost automatically think of the Ten Commandments, which is interesting because in the Old Testament, where the Ten Commandments are found, there are actually 613 commandments that are recorded in, in the Scriptures. But throughout the centuries and across the board, Christians have generally considered the Ten Commandments to be a summary of God's moral law to the point that Catholics and Lutherans and Anglicans and Presbyterians and Baptists have all included questions and answers concerning the Ten Commandments in the catechisms that they have written for discipling children and adults. Now, one aspect of the Ten Commandments that all agree on is that they can be divided into two tables or two columns. The first four commandments, so the first column 
explains our duty to God. The second column, or the last six commandments, explain our duty to our neighbor. And this idea is furthered by the fact that Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself fulfills all the law and the prophets. So these two tables fulfill all the law and the prophets. So what would it look like for us to uh, thinking about the Ten Commandments here? What would it look like for us to put in their place things that compete with God for our affections while doing those things that increase our affections for God? What would it mean to manage our schedules in such a way that necessary rhythms of rest and worship don't get eked out by other things? What would it look like if we took our profession of faith and our title of Christian and church member more seriously and didn't just wear it flippantly? What would it look like if we honored people in positions of authority in our lives? What would it look like if we were more careful to speak truthfully about others? If we were more thoughtful about the lives and the well-being of the people around us? If we honored our marriages and the marriages of others around us or simply honored marriage in general? If we didn't want the stuff or the lives of other people? And if we actually cared about other people the way that we care about ourselves, what would it look like? Well, it would look like obeying the Ten Commandments. And it would look like the whole duty of man. But there is a problem with this. And it's probably going to come as a shock to you. But every one of us in this room is a sinner. And so early Baptist uh, Benjamin Keith, Keach, rather, in, in uh, what is known as Keach's Catechism, one of the earliest Baptist catechisms, asked this question, is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? And the answer in the catechism is, no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God. So, so what's that mean? What's the point? What's, what's Keech saying? What, what is Scripture saying? Because that's where this answer comes from. It's based out of Scripture. Is it saying, give up, sinners. There's no chance. You're all going to fail. No, not at all. You see, the point of Obeying the commandments, keeping the commandments, isn't to flawlessly fulfill the commandments in an attempt to somehow earn God's favor, because we can't, nor is it to fail to keep the commandments and slip into despair or indifference, because that's not the point either. Rather, the commandments help us to acknowledge our ongoing struggle with sin in the flesh. And this causes us to look at them differently. Here's more from the catechism. What then is the purpose of the law since the fall? If we can't obey it perfectly, then why do we keep it? And the answer, again, based on Scripture, the purpose of the law since the fall 
is to reveal the perfect righteousness of God that his people may know his will for their lives and the ungodly being convicted of their sin may be restrained therein and brought to Christ for salvation. So the commandments show us God's will for our lives. This is what God wants of people. This is what holy lives look like. These, this is what lives that glorify Christ look like. This is what lives that show love for other people look like. It shows us the will of God for our lives, but it also shows us our ongoing need for a Savior because we're like, oh my goodness, this is what loving other people look like. And uh, in my heart of hearts right now, my desires don't look anything like that. So what do I do? It's not just do better. It's cry out for God to apply the mercy of our Savior to our lives. And so this fortifies our fight against sin because now we know what God wants and we know what God condemns, but it shows us our need to be forgiven and rescued from the punishment that we deserve and it drives us to Jesus. Jesus is the only one. That's why in the, the first answer it says, no mere man, no mere man since the fall has been able to keep the commandments. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't just a mere man. He is the God-man. He is fully God and fully man. So Jesus is able to fulfill the law. He's able to obey all of the commandments. And then he's able to go to the cross and give himself as a substitute for sinners who have broken God's commandments so that we can be forgiven and receiving the Holy Spirit, we can be empowered to do what we could not do in our own. And that is honor God in a way that he has revealed to us in his word. This is, this is what obeying the commandments looks like. Seeing God's holiness, pursuing it, falling down, looking to Christ, getting up and walking in the power of the Spirit. Worship leader Charlie Hall wrote a song back in the 90s, and he said, all of life comes down to just one thing, and that's to know you, O Jesus, and make you known. The writer of Ecclesiastes says all of life comes down to this, fearing God and keeping his commandments. And you know what? Both Charlie Hall and Solomon are right, because it's just different ways of saying the same thing because there's no way to truly fear God to show a serious reverence and respect for him and obey his commandments apart from embracing and believing on and surrendering to and treasuring and pursuing and following after Jesus and declaring him Lord over every part of our lives all the days of our lives so this first day of 2023, the most important question to answer is, have I done that? Have I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ? I cannot fear God or obey his commandments on my own. I don't have the spiritual power in myself, and I also cannot rid myself of my guilt. But Christ can. Christ can rid me of my guilt. Christ can give me power that I do not have on my own.
Have I surrendered my life to Christ? Have I taken hold of him? That is the most important question for us to answer this first day of a new year. But also, on this first day of 2023, all of us who can answer that question, yes, I have. May we, pro- may, may we who proclaim that Jesus is Lord resolve by God's grace to fulfill the whole duty of man this year, to increase this year in fearing God and obeying him because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to get ready to pray here in, in just a moment. And after that, we'll take the Lord's Supper. And if, if you cannot answer that question, yes, I have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I've taken hold of him. Then this time of the Lord's Supper is not a time for you to come and, and take the elements at the table. But it is a time for you where you're sitting to talk to God and to call out to God and to tell God, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want, to, I want what Jesus did to count to me. And so I would encourage you if, you, cannot, if you cannot answer yes to that question, then during this time, in your seat, where you're at, call out to God to save you, to forgive you, to make you new because of what Jesus has done. And for all those who, who have surrendered their life to Christ, after I've prayed, we'll stand, a musician will come forward, our deacons will come forward, and, and when you come forward, Remember, I am coming to take Jesus' body and blood because God has had mercy on me. I have no no merits of my own on which to stand, but I come before God with confidence that he loves me and accepts me because Jesus Christ died for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great mercy and love. And Father, as we consider the words of Scripture concerning the whole duty of man to fear God and keep His commandments, quite honestly, Lord, it, it, it can feel like standing at the, at the base of a mountain. It can feel like looking at something that is so enormous and so huge that it just feels uh, insurmountable. And Father, we know that apart from Jesus, it would be. We know that apart from Jesus, these words would only be law to condemn us and to show us our, our wrong, to show us our guilt. But Father, we thank you that because of Christ, we who were once dead in sin have been made alive. We've been given your spirit and your spirit gives us wings, Lord, so that we can can soar on the heights, not because we try so hard or because we are so strong in ourselves. We have so much willpower, so much resolve, so much discipline, but because we are new creatures created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you've prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Father, I pray for fresh courage and hope for those who are yours today, 
that we hear the whole duty of man to fear God and keep his commandments. And we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is leading us all the way, bearing us up and giving us strength. And Father, I pray for any here today who has not surrendered their life to Christ, that you would turn them, Lord. Turn them from their ways of rebellion and disobedience and independence from you to obedience to you through faith in your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. 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 Would you stand with me as our deacons and our musicians come forward? And once they are prepared to serve the elements, I invite all who are in Christ to come and take the elements and return to your seat, and we will partake all together. Come to the table this morning. gospel narratives, Jesus finds himself in the synagogue, and he refers to a prophecy in the Old Testament, and it says that his delight, the one of whom it refers to, and it was pointing to a Savior, it was pointing to the Messiah, it says, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. And because Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord, he obeyed God's commands. And because Jesus, as the God-man, feared the Lord and obeyed his commands, he has made salvation for us. He became the perfect substitute for us in his body on the cross and made a way for us to be reconciled to God. If you believe that you have reconciliation with God today because of Jesus' perfect life and death in your place, then take and eat of him.
of hearing about fearing God, resisting temptation, being conformed to holy living, obeying God's commands, if hearing about that today sheds light on your failure to do all of the above. If you find yourself sitting in a pew thinking, I am a miserable Christian. The good news is Jesus' blood covers all of our guilt, all of our failures, and every effort of ours to honor God, even though tainted by sin, is purified by Christ's blood and made acceptable and pleasing to the Father. And so today we can drink of Christ's blood with confidence of what he has accomplished for us. Praise the Lord. Let us lift our hands in prayer this morning as we remember the words that Christ taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to be seated, but I'm also going to invite the Rashes and the Matuses and the Throgmortons and the Brungarts to go ahead with their children and join the elders here at the front of the sanctuary. So today is a huge day for two churches. It is a huge day for the First Baptist Church in Ellsbury because we said a number of years ago that we want to be a multiplying church that raises up leaders and sends them out to do the same. And today, the Lord has given us the opportunity to do that. The Lord has given us the opportunity to send out members, to send out servants, to send out missionaries to go start another.